welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast, where we talk about Formula One, but primarily we talk about Max Verstappen this season because he is about to potentially break, not potentially, I'd say it's pretty much written in stone that he's going to break Lewis Hamilton's most victories in a season. The over or under, I believe I heard in the pre-show, was 16 and a half. That was mine. Compulsive gambler, senior degenerate <laughs> expert, Road Mount Hoja here. 16 and a half is the over-under I'm putting to my co-hosts and our members of the Discord of what we think will be his eventual first place haul. Because I feel 16 and a half is the perfect number to get action on both sides because 17 seems absurd. But then when you look at it, my man has had 11 victories already. Yeah. Checking the under. So, I mean... You're taking the under? I can't. Nick, how about you? Ooh. Uh, I mean, t- Todd being our, our resident expert of Formula One. <laughs> Don't give me that tag. <laughs> we're, we're giving it to you. I'm going to go under, but I, I, honestly, I, yeah, I'm going to go under. I think it's 16. Under. That's why I'm taking the under. I think you're, it's 16, you're taking too. 16. Nick, can I get a number from you? I'm going 16. I was going to say that before Todd said it even. I'm not just... Okay. I mean, I'm a big fan of Todd, but I'm just not, you know, I'm not just riding his. Anyway, let's let's continue on. Uh, I'm going to go over and I'm going to say 18. That's every race, though, right? Yeah, because he's at 11 and we have. That's right. I'm reverse (laughs) jinxing it. Sorry, Aaron. 17 is the most he can. We have six races left. I'm just going to roll over the the rollover minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So he's going to win the first round next or first race next year. Yeah, book it. Why not? <laughs> no, well, that just calling my shot. This is Babe Ruth pointing to the field. Is it old Yankee Stadium? Is it Ebbets Field? I don't know. I'm not a baseball guy. I'm a Formula One guy, and I just know this: Max equals wins. You're not wrong. That's that's you know, you're not wrong. That's that's like the blessing and the curse of this season. If you're a Max fan, you're you're riding high. But if you're anywhere else, <clears throat> Todd, Danny, Rick. Um, It's been a rough year and it might be a rough, I I don't know. Do we just, where do we even start? Oh yeah. There was a race in Monza. Let's talk about Monza before we start about on everything else. Let's do this. And so my co-host and I came up with this challenge that we initially were going to give to Nick, but then your boy with the big mouth decided, no, no, I want a piece of this. So we're going to do the race order and we're going to try to come up with nicknames for every single racer. So we don't call them by their government name. Pray for us, because I don't know how well this is going to go. But up first, we have Pepsi Max Verstappen, followed by <laughs> Two Buck Chuck Leclerc, Boy Georgie Porgy Russell, Carlos Gaines Jr., because my man has only been getting more points than Charles Leclerc this entire second half of the season, like one of us predicted. Then we've got Sweet Lulu Hamilton, followed by Sergio Careless Whisper Perez. Then we have Orlando's favorite son, Lando Norris. Then we've got Pierre Wasley because he's kind of been a bit of a baby this year. Then we have tricky Nick DeVries who first and maybe only time we'll see him this year, but he seems to be on many a hot seat for next year. Then we have, God damn it, this is the one I knew I was going to struggle with, Guan, not too Joe, not too high either, followed by... (laughs) I knew it. That's the one I knew. I was hoping for a Todd Yates spit take. (laughs) Oh, it didn't come out. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. You almost got this is a very self-indulgent episode already. Uh, then we've got the Esta Bandit. Oh, con, that's an easy one for me. And then we have Mick the Knife Schumacher. 
followed by everybody's favorite, Terry Botas, uh, a 1970s Mid-South wrestler. Then we have Yuki Sonoda. I, I don't know what to do with Yuki. Maybe Juki, maybe Munuda, because instead of the sun, we have the moon. Then we have what I like to call Lafifi, because sometimes he does not race in the most brave of manners. Then we have Kevin Magnum, followed by Danny Ricciardio, as Christian Horner once called him, a.k.a. Dangerous Dan. Then we have old Frosted Tips himself, Lance Strolaoliolioliovich, and Fernando Alonso Fast instead of Alonso. And Seb Vettel, I don't know. I'm just petering out. I'm sorry, Nick. I thought I could do this. I couldn't, but you guys are hopefully there to save me from myself, as you tend to do in this podcast. Where do we want to start with this race? Because there were some red flags that I kind of just went through as I butchered that segment, but there was a more important and more interesting red flag during the actual race itself. No, you guys have to remind me. It's been a minute. Or the lack thereof. Yeah, man, that race turned out like... Just building, was building, building excitement, building excitement. Ferrari went on the alternate strategy. And then, dun-dun-dun, Danny Rick explodes. My heart dies even a little bit more than I thought it could after having probably his only solid weekend all year. He was doing great. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously it was because of all the grid penalties in Lando absolutely shitting the bat off the start. My boy was in P3 for a minute. Obviously, overtaking pretty quickly because the car's not fast, but he was holding his own. That DRS train was keeping everybody behind. It was really interesting to see that Monza lived up to its uh, nickname, the Temple of DRS Trains. Oh, wait, no, it's the Temple of Speed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it, it was uh, building towards a really exciting race, and then we had the, the Danny Rick failure. And the absolute chaos that ensued, which should have been a red flag, giant question mark. I don't know. There was a, the, the debate raged on. I even put so it. So explain it to Todd, if you don't mind, because we have decided you are the Formula One expert of this group. So bad. Why would it have been a red flag? Because I know next to nothing about all the various flags. I mean, hell, you guys are the ones that introduced me to the beautiful concept of the meatball flag. So why should there have been a red flag? So – the red flag is reserved for the red flag means stopping a race in its tracks, right? It neutralizes the race. Everybody is immediately supposed to return to the pit lane. Everybody lines up again um, in the order that they were or in their race order, I should say, not the order they're on track. Um, And then they restart the race either with, uh, formation lap and a standing start or a rolling start behind the safety car like we'd see with normal safety car uh, issues. But this one is interesting because it wasn't a big wreck. It's not like somebody slammed the barriers and then damaged the Aramco. Um, it was just Danny Rick was in between the two Lesmos, which is a hilarious corner name to me. I don't know why. I'm 12 years. As allies of the LGBTQIA community, I don't find it hilarious. No. <laughs> um, so he was halfway between Lesmo 1 and Lesmo 2. Uh, and 
pulled off on the inside. So he wasn't in, on the racing line, but he also wasn't near a, uh, uh, a car rescue point. I don't know what the official term is, but a, a spot where they could like pull the car into on the other side of the barriers. I'm sure you've seen them on racetracks before. So there was a very long safety car. And then the car was apparently it, like just internally grenaded and fused the diff. So it was stuck in gear. So they couldn't even put it in neutral manually like there's controls for. Uh, and it was very far away from one of those rescue points, like I said. So they had to bring the forklift, crane, whatever, out on track, which was super dangerous. And I think two cars almost crashed into it during the safety car lapse. Um, so that was the big talking point is why didn't they red flag the race? But... Because they didn't, there was, I think, seven laps of seven or eight laps of safety car trundling around. And then they finished under yellow flags, which killed any excitement that was building in that race. But that was a question I posed in the Discord is like, should should they have red flagged it? And I asked, I can't remember what the actual, it's been a while since I put that in the chat or in the Discord. Um, but I think the overwhelming consensus was that people would like to see it red flagged and put uh, finish under a sprint. So even if it's a little artificial, because I think Max at that point had a, I want to say like a 10 to 12 second lead over P2. I believe it was 12. Yeah, over P2. Uh, so mm-hmm. if they red flagged it, he would have lost all of that advantage, obviously. But the overwhelming consensus in the Discord, shout out to the Discord, come join us, talk to us. If you should, so choose, uh, was that they want to see it red flagged. And I think even the Max fan, the resident Max Stan, voted for that. Shout out, Iron Trev. Um, what do you guys think? What do you want to see in that scenario? I think scenario? the proper FIA recommendations for that is to keep it yellow, let a few cars pass, and then start <laughs> the race, right? We're not talking about that again. <laughs> Why not? Oh, it's such oh, a, sorry. It's, it's the it's the gift that keeps on giving, Nick. I give you all my time. Talk about it. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, look the 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 point of the red flag is just to make sure that things are safe, right? And obviously, if you watch any of the clips, it just looks like the the crew trying to you know deal with this car on the track is like they they have you know, about six seconds before they have to turn around and make sure they're not going to get run over by someone. Like that's like literally the clips that I saw. So to me, I think, you know, if, if the, if the race workers are, are feeling unsafe out there, let alone the fact that you have to bring this big ass crane out there to get the car off the track, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I think that it should be stopped, but I think that, I think that that's the hardest part about racing is determining what, what would be unfair to, in this case, max, right? Because this is exactly, you know, kind of, a directly connected to the, to the, what was it? Abu Dhabi, where we had this with Max and, and Lewis last season, right? Because if they do the exact same thing, I believe Max was on mediums and, Charles was on softs. So you stop the race and and you give it a lap or two or just a sprint, whatever that looks like. Charles is at an advantage being on 
fresher, soft tires, but right? You're allowed to change your tires if it's red flagged. You're allowed to work on the car and change the fresh tires if you're in the pits for red flag. True, true. So, yeah, I mean, I guess like with that in mind, then it should have just been restarted, uh, you know, from after, after a red flag. Right. But I think that's that's the gray area that exists. You know, it, it as much as I'd rather see a sprint of a, a one, two laps sprint to finish a race and determine the winner, Max being ahead so far and then erasing that completely just to start over. I can understand where people are like that. Yeah, that's not really right either. But that is how racing works. So I guess it's a tough, tough shit. Can I ask the slightly trolly, slightly antagonistic question of would it have been a red flag had it happened earlier in the race? No. But that's it. Sh- it shouldn't have. Right. It, it shouldn't. It shouldn't matter when it happens, but it absolutely does. In my opinion. Like in the minds of the of the FIA, they absolutely have to take into account that there's only seven laps left, right? Even though they probably wouldn't say that. Agree? Agree or disagree, Todd? No, I, like I think the general consensus is from everyone is like including the the team principals and the drivers and stuff. They all want to see the races finish under green flag so on during racing uh whatever however that or that's what they all say right i'm sure red bull would have had comments about like oh you know yeah of course they red flag it and restart us when we're up you know out front by 15 seconds or whatever but i think you flip the script and then you go back i can't believe we're talking about abu dhabi again last year they red flag that race red uh red bull would have been pumped to like Gain that gap back to Hamilton. Yep. Um, or I guess they did anyway with the safety car because they reordered the cars, whatever. Um, I, I think, like you just said, Nick, I think racing is racing. Like, it's not like a car intent- intentionally explodes, unless you're Ferrari, um, <laughs> intentionally explodes at any point during the race causing like causing all this and like Danny Rick would have been on on his way to a good result for the first time ever so it's not like there was any foul play like you can claim against or they were talking about whatever in Zanvoort when the Yuki thing happened and everyone freaked out over that um I I think that they just I think they need to look at this rule because I agree that was like a big like cocktails for the lack of a better term because that race was building up to be really exciting even though the race itself was not necessarily exciting because it was mostly just drs trains and not too much on track action but the strategy game of it was pretty exciting and there was a lot of different tire strategy and stuff going on um they should have they they need to look at the rule and i've thought about this a lot this week i think they need to pick whatever the number of laps is like say if a safety car happens in the last 10 laps of a race and the safety car lasts longer than five laps or seven laps, whatever the amount of time, average amount of time that they last is, find out what that is. And if the safety car is going to take longer than that, then they automatically red flag it regardless of what the, situ- the situation is or what's on the line because of that 
They just pick a rule <laughs> and they they set that as the new standard. Because yeah, the green flag racing. And imagine if you're a fan there, uh, and you're like watching this and like the Tafosi diehards, whatever. They're way like they have this chance, albeit a small one, that Leclerc can come back because of the strategy. And then it's like, oh no, you were just going to see him piddle by under the. I mean, rightfully, they were booing Max as as the race came which to an is, end. Which right? is crappy. And, like, yeah, it's a terrible experience for the fans, which is why I think that it should have been handled differently. I think I think that just based on my experiences, mostly American Le Mans and and IndyCar here in the states, I would. I mean, like 95% of the time, I would rather stop and restart to see the race finish under green, no matter what, like with almost no exceptions to that very few times where it's like, you know, when there's crazy, crazy crashes or something that we just don't like, look, it's too somber of a moment to to pass, to to start over. I understand that. But like when, to your point, when you get to this point where you have 10 laps, you know, or whatever that is, it should just be a percentage, right? If it's like, okay, if the safety car is out for more than 30% of the remaining, whatever, then we should just start over. Like it should just be a determined factor all the time. I think the other piece to this, not to say that the FIA is, you know, manipulating scenarios, but, or, or even, pre-determining their response based on possible perception of them, right? Because obviously they're under fire. The race, you know, from from last year, everything is like on the hot seat as to like, oh, are these people actually even legit, you know? Um, so I think that there is probably a lot of consideration for how the, resp- how the fans, uh, not the fans, I think there should there was probably a lot of consideration as to how it would look had they stopped and restarted because the perception and the buzz on Twitter would be, oh, they stopped the race to give Charles a chance, uh, a better chance because he was he was too far behind to to make it up. Right. You could argue both sides of that. To your point, the changes you're allowed to change the cars. Red Bull has an advantage. But from a restart. If you're just talking about a couple of laps, putting them one and two on the grid and restarting with both sets of both have fresh sets of tires, that's the most advantage you could give to Ferrari hands down. Right. I think it would have been more interesting to watch the race finish as it was happening because the playing out of Max on mediums, Charles on fairly fresh softs and like this window of opportunity that was like you know, probably not going to happen, but the possibility is there is the most fair way for it to finish. If you start it over, anybody that's not a Ferrari fan, in my opinion, is like, wait a second, wait a second. So you're saying that Charles now is, 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 you know, granted it's one and two on the, you know, on the restart, but like, it's really first person into that corner that, that wins the race. If it's one lap, you know, we watched that the first two races this season were absolutely those two going head to head for whatever it was. And like, you know, the cat and mouse game that they played, which would still be great entertainment, 
But I think you'd have a whole, because there's so many new fans to Formula One, Drive to Survive, this new mm-hmm. ownership group and all of the attention that's on it. I think that if they would have done something like that and stopped it, you would have had even more backlash than you did from, you know, the existing fan base that, that kind of understands how this works, but also understands that like, you know, sometimes racing is racing and sometimes that's the worst part about racing. That's what a lot, a lot of the casual yeah. fans don't understand, right? Sometimes like when people, drivers and teams and stuff say that all the time, but I don't think they're like the general public necessarily gets what that means. And you know, especially from your experience, Nick, uh, like watching Lamar or any kind of like endurance racing, like when people say racing yeah. is racing, it's so freaking hard to get a race car around a track for that long of a time and just finish that like that in itself is like a crazy achievement. So when they say like racing is racing, they mean it like anything can happen at any time. And if you get through it, you're kind of lucky. So yeah, that's just, yeah. I mean, basically all this comes back to the fast and furious amateurs. Don't use nitrous. (laughs) Brian blew up his Mitsubishi eclipse. Toretto was a better driver because he knew how to handle NOS, NOS and, you know, you can't double cut clutch and granny shift like, you know, whatever. And that's the problem. Like people think that's how racing is, but like also people think that a quarter mile is, is 35 minutes of film time. So, you know, I, sir, sir, how dare you? I live my <laughs> life a quarter mile at a time and <laughs> I don't know what to believe in other than the fact that I usually mean that I live my life in 35 minute increments. And (laughs) as the resident Jesse of this pod, while you two are Dom and Brian, I'll let you two figure out who's what. I figured every race involves a scene where Ja Rule yells menage a trois to limited or no success. So I don't know. I think with you, Nick, I agree with you in the fact that it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. The FIA can't win as most governing bodies of any sport can't win. Just keep the status norm until next year, and then you use the offseason to break out whatever harebrained scheme that it, you want to come up with to enforce some sort of parity. I do like your idea of, let's say, 30% or 33% of the race remaining has to have that lack of a safety car for it to continue under racing conditions. But that's the other question I have as a relatively new on this. Has there ever been any sort of lack of better term legislation like that in the sport bylaws, or would this be a brand new precedence altogether? I can't think of any specifics that would be much different than what it is right now. Um, but I don't know, Todd, do you have, can you, like this, this is a rule that there's so much gray area around it that I think it's, it's always evolving. And to your point, it's always, it's always up for conversation. Right. And it's up for conversation when things happen. That's the one thing that for better or worse is one of my favorite things about racing and sanctioning bodies and all of the, you know, kind of, management that happens is that it really is an ongoing thing like for the most part the people that put on races races are not they're not setting out to to give people advantage they want the racing to be as close as an as an close and as exciting as possible because that's what brings the fans like you know last year was the perfect storm of like chaos because it was like holy shit the first year that let's say I don't know what 10 million people tune in for formula one and they see potentially the greatest season of all time and the most back and forth 
racing that you will ever see. Like I would love for it to be that way every year going down to the last race and the last few laps to determine a winner. But like, that's just not how it usually is. So the, the, the people that are making the rules and negotiating the rules, which is the teams, you know, it, it, teams have plenty of say in how these rules change in the off season. But I think that it's, it's one of those things where you, you're never going to have it perfect, but I think that this this will be added to the list of reasons why it needs to be the the finish of a race needs to be kind of reviewed more precisely over the over this next off season. Yeah. So it has happened to answer your initial question, Ro. It has happened before where like races have finished under the safety car for various reasons, but it's and actually up until. Abu Dhabi last season, they had it had already been kind of a discussion amongst the team principals. Like they want to do everything they can, along with Michael Massey and the FIA, um, that they want to do everything they can to finish under green flags racing. It's strange that the like weirdly kind of evil serendipi- serendipitous that last season finished the way it did because it was already in the discussion um, for that that. T- that to happen but it was like the perfect storm like nick said of like a season being decided because of this type of scenario with a very late late safety car do we red flag it do we do this do we do that they kind of like ran out of time and it's been in the conversation since and then we have something like this happening and again and everybody's coming out of the woodworks with all these ideas there's a lot of people on on twitter you know the f1 twitter the most probably one of the most toxic places in the world um, talking about like, Oh, we just add a, add a few laps or whatever. Cause they do that in never other racing series where they well, I think IndyCar it's either IndyCar or NASCAR does it. Well, they're, well, they were well, like add penalty time, like soccer does. Um, but they, they can't play that game in F1. And I was actually listening to a, a podcast this week with a former Red Bull engineer. Um, his, his name is Blake something, but he, he goes by Brake, F1, B-R-R-R-A-K-E. That's yeah. a gr- speaking of, that's a great Formula One nickname, much better than the ones we were coming up with during our race. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think you did great, especially on whatever you did to Zhou Guanyu's name. It was so <laughs> far off. I couldn't even, can't even repeat it. Anyway. The brand was, is the brand. He was talking about. How how exact they are, and I knew it was exact, but I didn't know it was this exact. When they do, he was a performance engineer for Red Bull, and he worked with like Max, and then previous to that, I think it was Sebastian Vettel. But when they do, like for instance, like qualifying laps, the 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 spare amount of fuel they have because they always have to have a one liter sample left over for the FIA poll whenever they want. The extra past that is usually can be contained within like a shot glass. That's how much extra fuel or within the margin that they're working with. So they can't add laps. They can't do anything else. That's why I think, and I think going back to what you guys both said, I think doing like 30% left in the race, if there's a safety car, is too much time because some races are, you know, 70, depending on the lap size, like some races are like 70 something laps. And usually depending on the track, like, Monaco being as tight as it is and how much we dislike it for the racing, their safety crew is so on top of it, they'll get a car gone in like a lap, lap and a half maybe, even as short as that lap yep. is. So 
I think it would, they'd have to do a smaller number, like 10 laps, 15 laps, whatever it is. And if the safety car la- lasts longer than an X amount of laps, they, they have to red flag it and finish the last five, seven to one lap as a, re- a sprint, whatever it is. I have a conspiracy theory slash question. Has anyone ever checked like the actual members of the ownership group of Netflix and the ownership group that is Liberty Media? Because, uh, I mean, if you want a drama, right? Like, like the only thing that's missing from Formula One right now in terms of racing drama is like old school NASCAR guys hopping out of cars and fist fighting on the hood, right? Like, it hasn't happened for a while, but I, I mean, like I haven't. If you were, if you were to, if you were to just say like, oh, let's just screw up the rules that we screwed up last year again. Hey, that gets people pissed off. People will watch to make sure you screw it up or don't screw it up the next time around, right? Well, they didn't <laughs> screw it up, right? That's the problem. Is I like know. that. That's why we're talking about this. Is because, and even Hamilton said it kind of like cheekily after the race, like, oh, so Abu Dhabi was the only time in Formula One history where they decided to not follow the rules, Um, which is, it's rough. I love it. You know, talk your shit because at the end of the day, it's an asterisk title for a lot of people, rightfully or wrongfully. I'm not going to make that call because as Todd has pointed out, we've exhausted that argument. But he is speaking truth to the – what did he say that's factually inaccurate? And I'm not Team LH or Team Hamilton. I just because – anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. But like whatever. They need to revisit it in the offseason like you guys said. Like they can't change it now because then it's – now it's going to favor Ferrari or Latifi for some fucking reason. I don't know. But that's a great segue. Yes, I was going to say nothing will ever favor Latifi. (laughs) Let's talk about Nick DeVries, the new hottest property in Formula One prospective drivers. Unless you're Red Bull, right? Because Red Bull doesn't want him. No, that's the thing. Or no, Alpha. (laughs) So they, they, that's okay. I guess I'll just talk about it. Nick DeVries. Uh, Alex, actually. Oh, no, it's Herda that I was thinking. Yeah, Sorry. Uh, Herda's out at Alpha. <laughs> on Saturday, Alex Albon decided to have last minute weight saving surgery. Uh, I'm totally kidding. Uh, apparently, he almost died, and thank God he's okay and he's recovering well. It was good to see his message on social media earlier because, um, regardless of how you feel about Albon, he seems like the nicest guy ever. And I'm glad he's surviving. Um, but then because of that, Nick DeVries, who's a reserve driver for Mercedes, had previously tested an FP1 for Aston Martin, got about 25 minutes by the time they got the seat fit and everything done. He got about 25 minutes during FP3 to drive the Williams and then came in <laughs> And I want to say he like completely dominated Latifi, but he beat him by two hundredths of a second uh, to get into Q2. And then because of all the penalties, he started P8. Yes. Something like that. Whatever. Top 10. And then held on to that and finished P9 
So became from a guy that people had generally forgot about, even though he won F2. He's won Formula E. Uh, they just didn't, nobody cared about him as a, as a, you know, a rated driver. And now apparently he's like a potential fit for like four or five teams. And alluding to what Nick was just talking about, the FIA kind of stood their ground and said, because, because Colton Herta doesn't have the necessary super license points because the FIA hates America and they somehow, I actually found that, that out this week that if you score a podium in IndyCar, it's less Formula One super license or FIA super license points than if you score a top 10 in Formula Three. Really? So like everybody always has, I think the general racing public, like the drivers in F1 and everything and the journalists, they always compare F2 to IndyCar as about the performance level of the cars. Um, and the FIA, for some reason, views IndyCar very harshly. And so if you score like a P10 in an F3 race, that's worth more super license points than if you score a podium in IndyCar, which is insane. But... That is what it is. That's sorry that for the tangent. But Herta doesn't have enough super license points to get an F1 license. So he is apparently out now for uh, Alfatari, who had agreed to let him go to get Herta. And now, just today, Nick DeVries was seen talking to Dr. Evil, uh, Helmet Marco, about potentially joining Alfatari. Which is crazy because like two days ago, he was like a shoe-in for the uh, Williams car. And then after that, apparently he was being talked to by Alpine. So what do you guys think about this carousel of driver, driver movement we still have yet to finish? The way I look at it, uh, I'm only rooting for one scenario and one scenario only. And that is one of the pundits on this panel outfitting my entire family. So we're team Mick Schumacher to Alpine because it's what the Esta Bandit wants. It's what Rohizi wants. It's what the world wants. Now, that being said, it makes sense. He had a great performance in a car that I don't think any of us expected him to do that. But that also further solidifies my claim that that car is probably a little bit better than any of us want to think about. And it's certainly better than the Alpha Tori, which I maintain is still the worst car, although Pierre Gasly had a nice ride this year or this week. But no, it's a sport of what have you done for me lately? And Nick DeVries got us points in a Williams. And that probably is an accomplishment that is a lot more eye-opening in a lot of people's minds. So, so I, have, I, I am on board with Team Rohizi on this one. But I have a question. I don't know if this was if this actually happened or not, or if this is if the conditions of this actually mattered. But when I first read about uh, Gasly leaving AlphaTauri, it was it was only under the condition that Christian Horner said basically we get that Colton Herta has to get a super license wow. in order for that to happen, right? Hundred percent. So if that doesn't happen. Does this mean that Gasly is not released from his AlphaTauri deal? Or has that already happened? No. It was or is this all just pending state now? It was contingent upon Colton Herta getting 
the exception by the FIA to get the super license points, whatever. Um, and that's the only way that it would let Gasly go, which they, I think it was two days ago now, they said like, okay, sounds like it's not going to happen. Gasly's staying. And then just today, Dr. Evil's with DeVries saying like, hey, what's up? You want to race for Team Red Bull? So, so basically, if you're a Formula One, Formula Two, Formula Three, or IndyCar driver, and you are mentioned as an interested potential driver for Alpine, the world will crumble beneath you no matter what happens in the next however amount of time. Because every person that has had anything to do with Alpine for next season is no longer with Alpine. Oh, in that case, I would like to invite Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump <laughs> to join the Alpine driver program. That's just, that's all I'd like to see. Seriously. <laughs> but seriously, right? Like, like Alonzo leaves, Piastri is supposed to be there. Oh no, Piastri is not. Well, again, like, Herta is supposed to. Uh, Gasly's gonna go there. Oh no, Herta can't get his license, a super license. So he, so Gasly can't leave. It's basically just like the literal chaotic hot seat of Formula One is an Alpine car right now. I mean, I'll take it one step further for our European audiences that I know we are slowly but surely gaining. Think of it in Love Island terms. It's the yellow bean bag. There's only chaos associated with it. If you get anywhere near it, if you're photographed near it, if you think to even tempt fate by sitting on it, chaos, evil, disarray will all come your way. And it's not worth it to me. So in that case, like I said, I've mentioned Ron DeSantis. I mentioned Donald Trump. Who else? Um, you know what? I was going to say Justin Herbert as a LA Chargers quarterback, but you know, he got hurt last week. So maybe subconsciously it also works. So at this point, I'm not even going to mention the dreaded A word. It is on the level of Julie Wood hexing Max Verstappen. That's a deep cut for all of our listeners. So the only way I can think of it is if Max Verstappen decided to be a part of the Alpine. Uh, nope, can't say that either because I've got him for 18 wins this season. So I don't know. I'm just going <laughs> to keep my mouth shut because I don't want to tempt fate. This is truly one of the most evil things I've seen in this world. Speaking of Julie Wood, we could use another Max uh, hex. Before the season ends, Julie, because I'm really, I, as you heard earlier, I took the under on Rohit's uh, <laughs> Rohit's. Well, I think line. I think the requirement for that is to make sure that everybody joins the Discord and and joins us for the race. That because Ju Julie's hex came through Discord in the moment, right? So twice. Yep. We just got it. Yeah, twice. twice. So we just got to get everybody back in the Discord to to enjoy the race with us. That's true. I'm going to give Julie a fake Discord address so that way my 18 races looks even more confident than what it is. <laughs> it is crazy, though, going back to this driver market thing. It feels like somehow almost all of the teams are actively working against Alpine to get a second driver, period. Even like their own driver, like Ocon apparently came out and said, oh, I like I want Mick, like Mick's my friend. I rate him highly as a driver. I'd love to have him on the team. And even Alpine was just like, that's not fucking cool. Like they weren't pleased about him coming out and saying that publicly. And kick him off the team. Have no drivers <laughs> next year. Like at this point, Alpine can't be beggars at this. Nobody wants your shit. Nobody. 
So the real test of, of how committed they are to, to this chaos is when there are no drivers available or even possible to sit in that second seat and Danny Rick is still not in a car and they refuse and they say, we're just going to run one car this year. We'll take all the L's for the other car because we just don't want Danny Rick in this seat. That seems to be like the, the direction they're headed. And they'll still be like seventh on the grid because I think they'll still <laughs> they have the fourth best car. Why doesn't anybody yeah. want to drive for that? Well, I mean, like people, I guess, want to drive for them, but nobody they want. It's I think, I, you know what? This is what you do. You become the Alpine home of re- rehab drivers. If you're an out-of-work driver... It's a fantasy camp situation. Pay us, let's say, a hundred thousand a weekend, and you get to do it all. You get to be a part of qualifying. It's a Patreon thing. You know what? Hundred thousand will get you through qualifying. Two hundred fifty thousand will get you through race day. And if you want both, that's a half a million. <laughs> Maybe. You know. You know what? I, I. I. My wishful thinking as a fan would be that we hear nothing for like the next however long until the off season. And then we just get a I'm back notification followed by NASCAR sucks dash Kimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be the best thing to ever happen ever. (laughs) Oh, man, I just don't know where I, I, I honestly don't think like there's always been drama with seat changes, team changes, all this stuff. But I don't think we've ever had so much chaos as there has been this year. But the the other thing I must say, as a previous smelly kid in the class that nobody wants to be friends with, I did not expect Alpine to have the heel turn that they did. Like, I would expect this from maybe other teams, but they've been generic as hell for the entirety of their existence, even going into their Renault years. Like, there hasn't been anything on the surface that's been problematic in the way that it has this year where nobody wants any part of their cake. They don't want to come to their birthday party. They want nothing to do with them in class. They don't want anything to do with them at recess. Like there has to be something going on that we're not privy to because on the surface, you've got arguably the most boring driver in Esteban Ocon. You've got the most boring team principal in Otmar. Even the color scheme has been pretty bland. I mean, we likened it to a Bang Energy can, which even that's like a mid-tier energy drink. Like you couldn't even go full on like monster. <laughs> what gives? Like are people are are they that mid in life that people are like you know what we're good? Like you are the personification of mid. We want nothing to do with you because of how bland and consistent and stable you are. Like what is? I, I will never understand it. And I guess as a resident Alpine fanboy, I'm not supposed to understand it. But who knows? I mean, from a marketing standpoint, if that was their slogan, we're mid. Like, I'm in. Like, I, I, I buy into it. It's funny. It's cheeky. It's kind yeah, mid, of mid. also accurate, but also not. And if they finish in the middle of the pack the entire time, then it's perfect. Man. They just bring back the paint car, everything will fix itself. That's when they were exciting. Yeah. Bring back the paint was, car. Was, yeah. And do we want to make any predictions on any of the open seats? Or should we punt till next week like the Formula One teams themselves? Well, it's changed. We've already had this conversation like four or five times, right? Sound like uh let's make it a reoccurring segment. Yeah. Let's just- <laughs> As it stands right now, we have one Williams seat open, 
technically won Alpha Seed Open, but it's pretty much expected that uh, Guan Yu Zhou gets. Yeah. Uh, gets to retain it for one more year. Yeah. Sorry, Zhou Guan Yu. Fuck, I said it backwards. I'm all over. I'm, you're, you're messing me up. Not too Zhou, not too high. <laughs> Uh, so I think Alpha's out. So we have one William seat, which uh, could be Nick DeVries, apparently Latifi, Sergeant. Logan Sargent, uh, Nico Hulkenberg, Danny Rick, but probably not. Um, and then so we have one... Haas, possibly, because, I mean, that's the other seat. Like, Mick Schumacher hasn't done anything in the last couple of... Although, no, he was in the points, I believe, in one of these races, if I remember correctly. But he hasn't done anything in terms of solidifying that seat as his to lose. So, yeah. And then Pierre Gasly's weird case where he has the seat, unless he doesn't have the seat. He's going to have a seat regardless. It's just where. Yeah. Um. But, I, I, again, like, I think... Alpine can't even do that. Like they would, they don't want like a contentious driver pairing because they're too mid, as we've established. But like that would make them too exciting, right? We just have to be. We're gonna have our baguette and coffee, and it's gonna be the most unseasoned, blandest baguette that they're gonna dip in wine. <laughs> but then they find out it's Capri Sun of all things, and then they're gonna be like, "Merci, where did this come from? What is this?" Yeah. So I, I don't know. I guess to answer your question, I think DeVries goes to Williams. Latifi's off the grid. Mick and K, K- Mag stay where they are. Uh, and and Pierre stays where he is. That's everybody, right? Yeah, I think so. That's a boring answer that nobody wants to hear, but I think that's yeah. And, and, that's and the Alpine answer. Danny, Danny Rick becomes Mercedes reserve driver. I, th- I think the boring answer is probably the way it's going to go. So I'm not going to refute that. Although, like I said, Mick Schumacher to Alpine. We need the summer and winter wardrobe apparently at the Malhotra house. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the least likely thing to happen now. And that's why you put an entire wardrobe range on it, and I respect it. I don't even know if they have kids. So, go ahead. <laughs> Last question about about the seats: Is Danny Rick going to actually take a reserve driver seat at William or at Mercedes? I mean, what's the point in that for for someone with his experience? So th- there was a, to wait until Lewis leaves. Well, a couple of things, right? So, I watched actually a, a, the race put out a pretty interesting video on it about why he would do that. And he already said he's not too proud to take a reserve role. And they actually, I think it's been more than like talked about just kind of externally. Like there might've been some internal discussions there because it was brought up in the post, was it? No, pre-race press conference in Monza. Uh, They asked Hamilton how he felt about having Danny Rick as a reserve driver. And Hamilton said like, he's way too talented to be a reserve driver. If I was, if I was as, manager he'd be racing and then he said like that being said like i would totally welcome into the team the idea is that he is doesn't want to go to like a super long-term project like williams or potentially haas uh because they're kind of back back markers at least right now anyway 
Um, the only competitive drive Alpine apparently doesn't want to like look bad and say like, oh, he left us for another team, but yeah, we'll take him back. Like the spurned girlfriend or whatever. Um, which is crazy because like, I'd say out of his, all of his years in F1, like two of his most successful years were in Renault, which is now Alpine. Um, but he, he wants to give himself the best chance to go back into a competitive team and still be involved in formula one. And Mercedes like pimps out its reserve driver. As you can see, Nick DeVries is the reserve driver now, and he's tested for Williams already, Aston already. I don't think in McLaren, but they are Mercedes powered. So all their customer teams, they like pimp out their reserve driver too. And teams generally share reserve drivers anyway, based on who your engine supplier is. So, and like you just mentioned, Nick, you have the bent, like the possibility that you're the reserve driver and you're an established F1 talent and Hamilton retires. Like it's not outside of the realm of possibility, but the Mercedes, I don't think has anybody like super exciting in the pipeline. Why not give it a couple years, help his experience develop George even more because we know what George is worth. Possible. I don't think it's ha- going to happen. Even if Ricardo does become the Mercedes reserve driver, I don't think that's the way his his way back into a competitive team. Can I just point out the irony of the self-induced chaos for Alpine with the, oh, he left, we don't want him. Considering that Fernando Alonso drove for Renault, left, came back, drove for Renault again, then came back as as an Alpine driver. Now he's literally driven for that team three different times in his career, <laughs> right? Maybe no, been, they're like he's the one that got away, so now they're, they're like the spurned ex girlfriend. Like, <laughs> and it's always better, Nick, when somebody's on the outs to say, "Yeah, I don't want him." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking from priorities. No, I'm kidding. But I will say this. Come on. I don't date losers, said a boy famously who did not go on a date until his 30s. So there you go. A little bit more of my personal history that any of you wanted to find out. I will say this. The past barometer in terms of being a Mercedes reserve driver for me is the fact that Esteban Ocon in his one year away was the Mercedes reserve driver. And also the fact that he has a manager by the name of Total Wolf. So I think it gives him a credibility that even though if he's out of the grid, people are still going to view him because he'll be there every weekend. And it's not an out of sight, out of mind thing, because this is something we were chatting about previously during the pregame where Hulkenberg's been getting a lot of buzz as a possible driver for a lot of the lower level teams. And we're thinking, why is that? And is it, is it a symptom of the super sub where like you see him in limited bursts, you say, oh, this guy, dude is competent. We should give him another shot. But then as Todd pointed out so eloquently, the entire Nico Hulkenberg experience was just one characterized by rampant mediocrity. So why do you want that? Daniel Ricardo, even in this current state, I think can give you a better shot to land a podium place, which is something Nico Hulkenberg never did. Case in point, this Monza, he was at third at one point and we thought, holy crap, will he be able to turn it around? Unfortunately, his engine blew up. He didn't turn it around, but I thought it was a sign in the right direction. I mean, and on top of that, Danny Rick gives you like 
marketing opportunities, even as a reserve driver, because he's still going to be fun in the pits. He's still going to be around. Like, I, I, I'm not like a, a diehard Mercedes fan by any means, but a, but Danny Rick being a, connected to that team makes me think twice about buying a T-shirt or something, you know, like in a way that no other driver really would. Can I ask another newbie question? Have we ever seen any sort of reserve driver merchandise in Formula One? Because if we haven't, Danny Rick should be the first instance of that because he has that cult of personality. People are going to follow him wherever he goes. So if he goes to Formula E, NASCAR, supercars, whatever the case, he's going to have some sort of exodus that will follow him. So why not go out for him from a Mercedes perspective, give him the full driver treatment, but then be like, yeah, you're a reserve driver, but here's this range of Daniel Ricardo t-shirts that you can still buy because that guy will generate bucks. And it's saying something that in that sport that is so characterized by who is behind you from a marketing perspective, that could be a way to have his cake and eat it too from a Danny Rick perspective. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I don't think that's ever existed before, but like, especially if he was he was open to, you know, an off the grid bench warmer theme. We're, and, and just we're play talking it up super like, sub. Let's let's use yeah. the same language yeah. that we were using for Nico Hulkenberg. He is a yeah. super sub extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> Subway sponsors it. <laughs> Give that man a foot long. Reason I'm so excited about him being a, a reserve driver is that. The reserve drivers typically um, are the co-hosts for like the pre-race shows on F1 TV. And like DeVries has been on there a bunch of times already. And he's actually pretty good and well-spoken or whatever. But Danny Rick as like the the co-host for that is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. This goes with our theory of him being Pat McAfee for the sport. Like – let him just embrace his full media pundit role that we all expect him to take on whenever he does retire from racing. Give him a gap year. Yeah. Call yeah. It a bad That's a good point. I'd rather him yeah. race. It obviously. gives more people the chance to get used to him on camera too. And, yeah. and like get to know him. Right. He becomes like, like we, we all like almost like love Will Buxton and love to hate Will Buxton at times because of his, like, I don't know his, uh, mid terminology. <laughs> That I'll say where like he just yeah but Danny Rick like that's also part of what makes you love the sport right it's like you get these characters where you find their nuances and absurdities and you start to embrace those too and Danny Rick would like that would be an incredible stepping stone for Danny Rick if he were to leave the sport to just become an announcer yeah but I don't want I'm not ready for that I'm not ready to break up <laughs> sorry, with that Todd. sorry so put him on the grid put him in a Haas Team America, fuck yeah. Let's go. USA, USA, USA. <laughs> or I mean that is still the 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 funnest uh I think solution to all these things, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know. Like the banter between Gunther and Danny Rick would be amazing. He gets along with K Mag. Uh I I think it would be good. Like he's not super strong in the like technical knowledge, so his development stuff wouldn't necessarily be super helpful to Haas. But I think they're basically a Ferrari knockoff at this point, anyway. Um, I mean, not only that, I'm here for the Gunter Steiner podium. That like, what is Gunter Steiner going to do? <laughs> oh because God. inevitably, he's going to make him shave his eyebrows or something crazy. <laughs> 
You will I not mean, fuck oh, smack oh, oh. my eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> or even better, K-Mag is out and Mick stays, but Mick is just literally silent at all times. He's like that kid with the, the drink meme. <laughs> just looking around as Gunther and and Danny Rick are going back and forth. He's just overwhelmed. Yeah. Doesn't know what to do. Well, see, I, yeah. I, I don't at think, all points. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Gunther is ready to give his title as the go-to memeable person of Haas. Like he's never had that competition. Like it's always been the house that Gunther has built. But now you got the world's best roommate in Danny Rick, and that's going to be fantastic. I hope so. But true. Oh. One last thing. This is a terrible segue, but we got to talk about Porsche, Porsche. I'm going to start saying both ways, like a pronouns thing, Porsche, Porsche. Um, but apparently that deal fell apart this this week. That uh, Red Bull got cold feet somehow and decided to back out of the the engine deal, engine supply deal, because... Volkswagen or Porsche wanted to um, buy 50% of not just the Red Bull powertrains division, but actually 50% of the F1 team. And they were like, hold on. We like having 100% control. That's a no, no, no go. That's a no from us, dog. Yep. They pulled a Randy <laughs> Jackson. Um, so now Honda's all of a sudden back in the mix, which I'm sure... Nick is over the moon about even to the point where, again, talking about Dr. Evil, they had just had meetings in where is Red Bull located? Milton Keynes with some of the Honda Honda people. And then Dr. Evil and team were flying to Sakura in Japan. That's where Honda engines, that's where the uh, the F1 Red Bull Honda engines are made. What do you guys think? Are you you bummed to not have another German manufacturer on the grid? You, I know Nick's answer is like just whatever Honda's staying, but I mean to be honest, I I would absolutely love Porsche to be in Formula One again. Like I just think that they are like the epitome of of racing to me. But that's also because I've been I've been interested in other forms of racing outside of Formula One. So to see them, you know, like they're they're sports cars for like world endurance or, or, you know, formerly Le Mans and all that stuff are my favorites, right? I've got them on the wall behind me. So it's like, how do we, how do we make that happen? But I think the other interesting piece is yesterday or this morning when I was looking through the news, uh, Toto Wolf was basically like, yeah, Porsche, Porsche would be a great addition to formula. One. <laughs> just thinking like, wait a second. Like, is he just like, playing mind games with, with Red Bull or is he genuinely like thinking like, I mean, because you know, like the, it's, it's more than just what, what they bring as far as like a partner, right? It's, it's the energy and the people and the fans and the money that they bring to the sport. Right. You could envision something where like, if there are, you know, you know, the equivalent of a salary cap in, in, you know, sports that we're more familiar with in America, like if that exists with Porsche in the mix, it's probably going to get bumped up somehow, some way. Right. Because there's just more interest. They can sell more cars. You know, so uh, yeah, to, I think to your point as well, Nick, there's that concept in American sports where if certain teams within a sport are good again, it makes it more fun. And I think that is what Porsche is like. 
they have the race portfolio. I'm surprised they don't have this because I feel this would be any sort of racing crown jewel in any company's portfolio. It's like, oh, by the way, we have a Formula One car. And there's nothing more exciting than being a brand new team or a brand new participant in a sport that is probably at its apex in terms of the popularity it's gotten in a country like America, which in turn translates to the rest of the world. So yeah, it's unfortunate. We'd love to see more because it also gives us more drivers on the grid and more drivers on the grid unlocks other parts of the world in terms of fandom and sponsorship possibilities. And it just makes the sport better. So I'm with you. It's a damn, it's a damn sad shame that they're not going to be on the grid, but Somebody's going to pull something because it's too big of a brand not to be on the grid. Yeah, it feels weird. And I, I I don't know. There's been a bunch of talk about it. It feels, I was excited for Audi to join or like officially join and they did the whole car unveiling and everything. Um, but it does feel a little let down without having Porsche also, like, cause they're both under the badge. Um, they, they feel like a more premier get in terms of like motorsport cachet like nick was alluding to um but audi just said like at first like oh we're an engine supplier but now they're supposed to buy sauber sauber f1 Mm -hmm. whatever they're supposed to buy a controlling stake in that which hasn't happened yet so it's a bit suspicious um but where do you think porsche would go if they're not going to go to red bull the only thing I can think of is them joining forces with Andretti and finding a way in as a new team that way. I mean, that's a, that'd be huge, right? But I, I just don't see that happening. I, 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 I can't see how it would work um, because one, the, the teams that the team, it would have to be with a team near the, near the bottom of the grid, right? And those teams typically are pretty well controlled by the engine supplier in a lot of ways. I mean, I know we're not supposed to like think of it that way or say it, but like the reality is like Ferrari has plenty of influence over everything that Haas does. Same thing with Williams and Mercedes, right? Like, so Porsche coming into it, I just don't see him taking one of those spots. I think that, that the almost like the only entry point now would be like a an Andretti type situation where it's like a new team on the grid, or or you know relatively new team. I, you know, you don't, I don't see. Think, I don't think we're going to see anybody else disappear. Where he may sell to them. I mean, maybe, but I mean, look, Lance has been doing good enough to have a little bit more hope than we probably did a year or two ago. So. If if I'm just thinking logically, right? If you if it's your son in that car and you see him improve him improve ten percent, you see it as fifty percent. Yep. We see it as ten percent. We're thinking, can he keep his seat? But like, if you're if that's your kid, you're like, you know, you're 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 holding on to hope. I think a lot more, and you know, not not that it's. I mean, Lance has really done better than I've ever expected. So I, I don't mean to like demean that his success. But I think that for him, for Daddy Stroll to, to consider selling the team, you know, yeah, if Porsche wants to buy the entire team, I don't see them going that far with it, especially considering, you know, from a, a higher up 
kind of perspective corporate wise doesn't make a whole lot of sense to even have both team you know like you wouldn't want to have audi in at let's say seven out of ten commitment and porsche at 10 out of 10 because then you've got internal things that you're trying to balance out right i know that these things are supposed to be separate companies but with somebody as big as vw there's no way that the people above these companies don't have influence on these decisions to say don't step on toes you know that makes sense yeah it's interesting but the counterpoint there audi is committing in a far more serious way building this whole infrastructure for having an engine development program whereas porsche porsche was relying on Red Bull's investment of into their own Red Bull powertrains for them then to come in and build engines there yeah. or whatever. So it sounds like Audi is way farther ahead as far as commitment level wise. And and, and going back to the Aston Martin thing, uh, I wouldn't call Stroll like a reigning success. He's got five points finishes this year. Granted, they're all P9, P10s, whatever. But I think... Daddy Strolovich doubled down again, saying like, we're not going anywhere with the, the signing of Alonso. And I think that was a real statement of intent and giving him yeah. the yep. multi-year contract and, and the bag. So I don't know. sounds like it's off the table, but the engine regulations, you have to sign on, I think. I think it's October is the deadline that you have to sign on for the new engine regulations by to be a part of the to have say in it and get the benefits of whatever development costs and stuff extra you get for 2026. So we'll know in like a month if they're really in or not, or the deadline will get pushed back because they do whatever they want. So. Yeah. I think the other thing that was kind of interesting that we should probably note, um, we don't really talk about like changes amongst the personnel and stuff, but we talked about some of the, talked about some of the, people that don't get as much shine in the sport last last episode but i think was it today or yesterday they appointed um natalie robin as ceo fia did it was like you know basically long-term like automotive industry executive right she's been with like i think four or five different companies over the last 20 30 years which is really interesting to me i did not hear about that at all please expand uh, so she, Natalie Robin is, uh, if I remember right, Volvo and Nissan uh, executive, maybe, maybe like Mercedes even, or, or somebody, some other like Chrysler, Dominic Chrysler company um, for a, quite a while. And she was announced as the, as the first, uh, first CEO for the FIA. Yeah. So, so what does that mean? Don't know what that means. Yeah, I was gonna say, what does that mean against uh, Mohammed bin Sulaim or whatever? He's the president, right, of the FIA, and he's yeah, kind of a shitbag. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't, I don't know what that means. You know, I mean, obviously, like, part of me thinks like, are you just bringing her in to potentially be the blame for any of the? problems that are that exist or to fix some of those things um he doesn't seem like the the type that's like hands off but i guess maybe that's the approach is like you know 
hasn't been handled as well as possible, like, or maybe, you know, who knows at that level what people think, but I just thought it was really interesting. I don't, I don't think there's much information about it out there and I think it'll just be something that's interesting to watch. I agree. All right. Any other notes, things you guys want to talk fantasy real quick and then wrap it up? Let's do it. Let's do it. All righty then. We have some movers and shakers this week in fantasy, starting with the, you, the Voldemort League. I was just gonna, yeah, I was just going to ask, do you need me to glam? But you got it. So got it. Apologies. No, you're good. You can glamp anyway. I enjoy it. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think we already did that today with the uh, driver nickname, but I will come back with better nicknames for everybody. For, that is the extent of my glam. Please go for it, Todd. For a first effort, I think you did really good. I think you yeah. could improve on some, but the Guan Yu Zhou is, uh, it was fantastic. Well, I, I'm going to have to listen back a few times to actually understand what you said. Just don't operate heavy machinery when you do. <laughs> Trust me, I'm. My brain is working a second behind everything, much like Latifi drives right now. So, um, okay, Voldemort League. Uh, a big shout out to uh, Julie Wood, who has now overtaken me for first place after a monster week. Um, uh, and I want to actually number one for last week was. One Nicholas Ing- Ingball, uh with an almost thousand point Ooh. week in that league, um, who has now moved himself up to fourth place in that league. Uh, but the overall league standings is uh, Julie Wood, uh, then myself, and then Jackal, followed closely by uh, Sir Nicholas. Moving on to the F1 official Discord league. Um, this was a wild week. So we have, uh, let me scroll back up here. If my mouse decides to start working. Uh, number one overall for the week is team one. Rohizi. Uh, number two, uh, Gunther's dream team. That's John S. And followed in P3 by Vertappen that ass. Nicholas C. Um, Nick, you, Nick, you were P8 in Monza, and I was all the way down in P12. It's a rough week. So overall for the season, I lost a little ground to the pack behind, but I, I gained a little bit on uh, the current overall con- title contender, All Haas No Breaks, Aaron, uh, I'm like I said, P2, and uh, Trav Pete is in P3 catching up. Um, team one, Rohizi, you are in uh, P7, and Speeding Burritos taking a little bit of a step back, back in P12. I think you're in 10th. That's okay. That's okay. All right. It's all right. We have Singapore coming up. Um, you guys are both going to crush it. So, in the most important league, uh, the Exhaust Notes Fantasy Pod Draft League game, whatever we call this. Um, so, for the week, in uh, last place, we have Nick, 
47 points. In uh, P3, we have Rohizi with 49 points. In uh, P2, Aaron in uh, uh, with 53 points or 51 points. And I somehow won the week thanks to Pierre having a good week for once uh, with 53 points. So the season standings as they stand are uh, oh, you're on the same sheet as me and confusing me, Rohit. Um, Apologies, I can handle that no. for you. Nick is in third place. I don't know why I went with third place first, but you know, it's been a weird week. Uh, at 792 points, Aaron Nojima, AA Ron, at fourth place with 774 points. Uh, I'm in second place with 799, and our fearless leader, Todd Yates, with first place at 833 points. Nice. If it's not obvious from my performance, I just like to think of my fantasy Formula One entries the way I think of real estate investment, and that's do the best in the worst of, or wait, never mind. That doesn't work. That's the wrong way to think about it. I was going to say, you have a beautiful outhouse shack in Malibu (laughs) Beach based on your real estate analogy. (laughs) I I also have a, a... literally uh, like a mansion in the uh, Voldemort leagues comparatively. So I, I don't know. But if because that it's analogy... the Voldemort league, it's made up of balsa wood and toilet paper. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, strong finish. All right. Good Two talk more weeks. guys. Yeah. A couple weeks off. We should be around in between if all goes well, but thanks everybody for listening. And uh, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We need people to hit that star button on Spotify, actually. Leave us a review on Apple if you haven't already. But make sure you follow these guys. They're going to tell you how the, how they can you can connect with them outside of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Rohizi. You can follow me on Instagram at rohitm13. Started a Be Real account because that's what the kids are doing. And let me tell you, that's a little too much work. So unless I gain followers in that at rohitm13, I'm going to be disconnecting it by the end of the week. Todd, where can they find you? Uh, you cannot find me on any new social medias, but the legacy ones. Uh, T-E-Z on Instagram, F one on Twitter. Most importantly, Exhaust Notes FM all the platforms. True, true. Uh, you can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. Make sure you hit the link in the description to join us on the Discord for the next race and for some great conversation in the meantime. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Peace.